This is Live Well Talk on Vascular Disease. I'm Dr. Dustin Arnold, Chief Medical Officer at UnityPoint Health, St. Luke's. Vascular, cardiovascular, cardiothoracic medicine are topics that we have, but sometimes uh, patients uh, and physicians uh, overlook peripheral vascular disease or vascular disease. So joining me today to discuss the differences and talk about common vascular disease is Dr. David Lawrence, vascular surgeon with Physicians Clinic Viola and St. Luke's Hospital. Welcome. Thank you. Dave, what, what is vascular disease? When we say vascular disease or peripheral vascular disease, what, what are we talking about? Well, specific to peripheral vascular disease, uh, we're talking about the blood vessels in the body, uh, primarily that are, um, as I explained to my patients, outside of the brain and uh, outside of the heart, although, of course, the brain and the heart both have blood vessels as well, and, uh, you know, those can have disease also, but a peripheral vascular surgeon deals with those blood vessel beds that are outside of the heart, outside of the brain. And vascular disease covers a whole range of different pathologies that can happen to those structures that can be broadly put into categories either of blockages in these vessels or of dilation or other degenerative processes to the vessels and then how we treat them. You know, with my uh, work in wound care over the years, I personally believe vascular disease is so overlooked, and I think that there's a lot of vascular disease out there that 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 is being. It's a very common finding, uh, particularly if they have a wound. You're like, you know, it's it's easier to count the patients that don't have vascular disease. Um, just how common is it? Uh, it, it it's extremely common. Uh, uh, certainly, uh, uh, the older you get, the more common it becomes. Uh, once you get into the sixth seventh decades of life, you're going to see vascular disease in a majority of people to one extent or another. And in fact, some of the atherosclerotic uh, plaque um, deposition, uh, they found it in uh, uh, autopsy specimens, even of people in their 20s. So it starts early. Now, it doesn't become significant in most cases for several decades, but it's just a process uh, uh, that, that occurs in our blood vessels over many, many years. And at some point it will become more clinically obvious. The trick is identifying uh, the problem, if you can, before it becomes a problem and then determining the best way to manage it from there. Once you're in a wound clinic, you know, you already have a significant issue. Yes. And yeah. uh, it becomes more difficult to treat just, just like any other healthcare issue. Right. Um, what, what are some symptoms of vascular disease? Well, Maybe since you mentioned uh, wounds, uh, uh, when I think about symptoms that, that are occurring in the extremities and usually in the legs, uh, this will happen from uh, blockages that occur. And uh, uh, this will, as I said, happens over time. It starts with a narrowing and can then progress to complete blockage of arteries. Uh, and uh, people experience these in different ways. But primarily, what people will begin to notice uh, is pain with activity. That's kind of the hallmark of, uh, of early symptoms in uh, vascular disease in the, in the legs. Uh, people will notice that uh, they'll begin to have muscle ache with walking, not, not necessarily at rest and probably not at rest and probably not, um, you know, depending on uh, what position you're in. For example, if you're sitting or standing, it changes, but with activity. So a classic story would be uh, someone who, uh, uh, you know, goes out and they walk their dog and they notice that uh, they're having to stop at, say, a block because their calf begins to cramp up. They stop and rest 
and the cramping pain goes away or they're at the store or the mall and a similar thing happens and they begin to notice that that distance uh, becomes less and less. And that's something we call claudication. Um, and uh, that's the, the medical term we use for it. But basically it describes that pain that we get in a muscle when the, uh, the needs of the muscle for oxygen are not being met because there's not adequate blood flow getting to the muscle. And that's because there's a narrowing or a blockage in the artery that's feeding that muscle. And so, you know, one thing that I, I remember, uh, this is, oh gosh, this is probably late 90s, Plavix, clopidogrel, was only used for heart disease. Right. right at the time. And I had a patient, had an, a, a stent placed, and he came back for follow-up, and he goes, you know, Doc, ever since I had that stent placed, and I'm on that Plavix, my butt doesn't hurt when I walk. <laughs> you know, and I was like, oh, well, you're treating your peripheral vascular disease. And, uh, you know, then over time, Plavix got an indication for peripheral vascular disease. So, like yeah, a lot of things. Plavix has been, uh, is, is a, a really important uh, component of uh, the medical management of, of what we do. Yeah. Um, uh, regardless of whether or not we use uh, stents, it can be very helpful uh, in, uh, it, you know, it, it is it is an anticoagulant. Technically, you know, it affects platelets, as you know, but um, it's it, it tends to treat the part of our uh, of uh, our clotting system that is, you know, most of most affects vascular disease. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a significant medication, and I think is it is it getting cheaper? I mean, is it well, yes, ever since it came uh, came off its original, uh, you know, trademark patent and uh, yeah. once it became generic, it, that was a real game changer because, um, yeah, it was very it was quite expensive um, initially when it was uh, just Plavix. And now that you can get Clopidogrel, it's um, it's very reasonable. And um, generally, we don't have issues with that. Uh, of course, there are always newer medications. Uh, right. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Pfizer's making enough money on the uh, vaccines. They don't need uh, to make money on Plavix anymore. Well, yes, <laughs> they got so, a new pill coming out too. So yeah, they do. They're they're going to be on top of it. Uh, we talked about the the symptoms and and the progression of the disease, but what what are some risk factors? I mean, obviously, there's it, as with everything, there's a family history of it, and you yes. are more susceptible, but. But talk about some of the risk factors. Uh, for sure. Uh, really, the big four um, uh, that that uh, are common uh, for uh, vascular disease. Yes, you mentioned family history. That's a really important one. Uh, smoking, uh, uh, you know, cigarette smoking is huge. Um, and um, I, I very rarely have a patient that is not or has not been a smoker, uh, particularly with uh, lower extremity disease. Um, after that, diabetes um, and uh, and then hypercholesterolemia. Those are kind of the, the big four. And any one of those can, of course, dominate over the other. Uh, you may have someone that uh, has, uh, you know, lived, uh, you know, as clean a living as they as they can manage, uh, but they have bad family history and they have bad vascular disease. And then, you know, other people who, uh, um, uh, you know, may have just diabetes and and nothing else. And that's that's all it took. Um, some people that have many risk factors and, and still make it uh, well into life before they uh, before they exhibit um, significant uh, symptoms. Uh, but overall, uh, yes, uh, th those are the most important ones. And certainly, as I remind people, uh, you can't you can't pick your parents, so you can't do anything about family history. But the other ones, particularly smoking, uh, uh, that you can control is is paramount towards uh, successfully managing these problems. Mm -hmm. 
the, the analogy I use is a, is a handgun, and that's your family history. And as long as it remains empty, it's not that dangerous. But then if you smoke, you have diabetes, you have high blood pressure, you start putting bullets in that chamber. Now it, yeah. it, it gradually becomes a dangerous weapon. So yes, yes. Keep, keep your keep your gun unloaded, I guess. And, and that and that uh, kind of a handgun, you can't control where it points either. So right, exactly. <laughs> uh, how how do you treat? We talked about Plavix medical management. What's the next step? Plavix fails. I'm still having symptoms. What are you going to do to me next? Well, it's interesting, and, and vascular surgery has been a, a fascinating um, specialty because it has evolved so much in the last 20 years. Um, when I um, decided to become a vascular surgeon, uh, I did it because I, I mostly enjoyed the the intricate technical work of, of surgery and uh, uh, working on both uh, large and small blood vessels, and I thought my career would be marked uh, with uh, long, difficult operations, uh, um, you know, with, uh, you know, very sick patients and, uh, and, uh, and certainly, uh, uh, it still has that component, but, uh, the development of minimally invasive, uh, techniques and angiographic techniques has, has completely changed, uh, the specialty, um, uh, over that time period. And I tend to take a stepwise progression. And you already addressed, um, you know, the first step is, is going to be uh, lifestyle modification, medical management. Right. Um, and uh, but once once uh, those uh, areas fail, well, um, depending on the circumstances, of course, but we tend to try to address things in a minimally invasive way first. And what that generally involves is uh, what's called uh, angiography. Uh, many of the listeners may even if they haven't known someone who's had a, a, uh, a peripheral arterial angiogram, many people know someone who's had a heart cath. And it's similar that way in that you use a needle to uh, uh, puncture directly through the skin into a blood vessel. But instead of going to the heart, we use x-rays and wires and catheters to direct um, uh, devices uh, into uh, blood vessels and other parts of the body. Now, once uh, you've uh, reached the area you want to treat, for example, in the leg, uh, if there's a blocked artery in the thigh, uh, and you can cross that with a wire, um, you can use a variety of different techniques to treat that. Um, people use balloons. People use uh, stents. Uh, there are devices called atherectomy devices, which uh, remove plaque by various means, either by plaque excision or some of them uh, grind hard calcified plaque down. Uh, and then there are other uh, adjunctive techniques. Uh, some balloons now have uh, uh, drug uh, coating on them that is, is an anti-restenotic therapy uh, that uh, you can deliver to the vessel wall that reduces the recurrence uh, of, uh, of uh, restenosis after your treatments. Generally speaking, our objective is to achieve inline flow from the heart down to whatever the target vessel is and in a wound clinic it's usually the foot right so uh what if we can achieve that uh with the least amount of um intervention possible that that's our objective so um balloon atherectomy uh if that doesn't work sometimes we have to put stents in although uh stents in in the uh, stents in the heart work great and there's fantastic data on that stents in the leg not so good and um the main reason is because uh the vessels are not um, static. They move a lot. Uh, if you if you could, you know, have x-ray eyes and uh, see the main artery in the thigh as someone's walking or climbing steps or getting in and out of a car, 
uh, it is moving all over the place. It doesn't just stay in a straight line. And that will cause, um, you know, fatigue on the metal structure of stents over time. And so they, they fail at a much higher rate than heart stents do. Do, do patients well, have to take Plavix after a stent's placed? Just well, like yes, and after stents, they, they do absolutely have to take Plavix. Generally speaking, uh, without a stent, they don't need to be on Plavix uh, unless they're, they have other risk factors. Once those minimally invasive means have failed, um, or if uh, the circumstances, the anatomy, the extent of disease is, uh, doesn't al allow that to be uh, pursued, then we move on to uh, more traditional vascular means such as a surgical bypass. And uh, a, a leg bypass uh, or bypassing any other vessel is similar to, uh, you know, open heart surgery where they're doing a bypass on the heart arteries. It's just that it's uh, in a different part of the body and uh, there are different uh, conduits you can use. Uh, we try to use uh, uh, a patient's own vein if they have a good one. Uh, that's going to give them the best outcome. But there are other options, uh, plastic veins. Um, we even uh, can uh, obtain uh, cadaver veins from uh, donors. Uh, in uh, situations where that's necessary to have additional wow. options. Interesting. What, 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 in the last 10 years, what percentage of your cases are the traditional surgery 10 years ago and now? Uh, 10 years ago, uh, I would say in, in, the, uh, in the lower extremity, um, probably 35, 40% were, were uh, traditional surgery. Now it's maybe 20%, it's certainly okay. less. Okay. And uh, yeah. we found that we can be more aggressive as we become more comfortable with these uh, techniques. And the nice thing about the uh, angi angiographic techniques is that if you do it right, you generally don't burn bridges. And I, if I could just um, uh, put in a, a little uh, pitch for vascular surgery, anytime that, that I'm doing uh, a uh, a uh, balloon or uh, or a stent, if I have to have a stent, you know, I'm always thinking about what's the next step because the thing about vascular disease, it never goes away. Um, you know, even if you stop smoking, even if your diabetic control is perfect, um, anything we do uh, will eventually fail, um, and uh, that's that's because we can never make uh, the vessels uh, as good as the ones you were born with. And so I need to be thinking down the road, well, what's the next step? What's, uh, you know, say we do this, we get two years, we get three years, but, you know, what are we going to do next? So I have to think about that and what my options are. Um, and, and, and it's easier for me to think about that because, you know, we, we're, we're kind of the end uh, um, operator in, in this disease specialty. Well, I, I'll tell the listeners that uh, I can confidently say over my almost 25 years of practice, that that's a sign of a good physician, good surgeon that has a plan B and a plan C uh, when they start to do something. Uh, and that, that reflects well upon you, Dave, because those are the good doctors that, that are thinking ahead, okay, what is the next step? What do we do if this doesn't work? What's our plan B? What's our plan C? You know, um, it, when, when people don't have a plan B, they, they can get in trouble real quick. And I think a good physician, a good surgeon, which you are, uh, they have a plan B. They have a plan C. Right. And it's interesting um, when I would talk to uh, um, some of the older uh, surgeons, um, you know, uh, many of whom are retired now, um, you see that uh, things that uh, we could do in, say, the 1990s or even the early 2000s, we're going to be adequate uh, for these patients, but overall, uh, people are living longer. 
Yeah. And so maybe you could you could uh, treat a vascular disease and expect an outcome for a given period of time, but but a patient's life expectancy was uh, such that it, it didn't matter as much. But now uh, the uh, the you know the, the demands that are that are placed on, on this are greater. So we're we're constantly you know searching out new and better ways to treat these problems that are going to be more durable um, as uh, as you know people live longer. We want we also want them to live better. Right, right. And, you know, I can say over my career, I've seen changes in the fact that like just pressure ulcers have gone down when we started to understand the physiology of pressure and the injury it can cause on a patient bed source, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, when I was a medical student in, you know, the mid 90s, there's two or three pressure ulcers on service all the time, right? Yes. You know, I mean, you're debriding them. And now, you know, that's it's rare to see that anymore. It's very rare, which is great. You don't want to be a victim of the tyranny, the anecdote. But I, I definitely think there's less amputations on the service than it was 20 years ago. Yes. I, you know, I would these are all good things. Yeah. Well, this is really great information. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk about this. Again, this was vascular disease with Dr. David Lawrence, Physicians Clinic of Iowa and St. Luke's Hospital. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Live Well Talk On. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your family, friends, neighbors, strangers about our podcast. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcast. Until next time, be well.